0: You're listening to the Common Grace Podcast, stories of common grace and common people for the common good. This month, we have a special episode of Common Grace. As a church, we're spending October focusing on the future and casting vision of what's to come for both Whitewater and Common Grace. We wanted to take this opportunity to look at where we've been as well as what we believe. And this episode is actually from the Doing God's Business Podcast. It's an opportunity to learn about our host, George Bedlian, and the history of Whitewater. We have a lot on the horizon for Common Grace in the upcoming year, but as we're planning, we'd love to hear from you. If you have topics you'd like us to dive into
1: or guests you'd like to hear from, please email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Pastors are the servants to the servants. We are not over people. We are under our church holding them up, lifting them up in their callings, in their diversity of gifts.
2: My name is uh, Dr. Paul Stevens, and I'm the co-host of the Doing God's Business podcast. This podcast is about integrating faith and work. Our vision is to equip and empower Christians, people of faith, to live out their kingdom calling
0: in the world from Monday to Sunday. My name is Tim Chan, and I'm co-hosting with Paul on this podcast. Our guest today is George Bedlion III, who is the lead pastor at Whitewater Church in Northwest Washington. The reason we interview George is to understand how he, as a pastor, Supports the people in his church to live out their callings in the world. Our conversation is divided into two podcast episodes. In this episode, George shares the story of starting Whitewater Church, how they reached out to their local neighborhood, and what his church's vision is for supporting their people from Monday to Saturday. Here's our interview. George, it's uh, really great to have
2: this time with you today. I, I would really appreciate hearing just a bit of your story, how you came to be pastor at Whitewater Church.
1: Of course. Um, and I just got to first say, I am so thrilled and excited to be here in this conversation with you. I want to call you Professor Paul. I have just been so influenced by your work, your writing, your thinking. Uh, I I just have a deep appreciation for the work you've done, because I think you've really done a great job taking worlds that have been divided, you know, whether it's the the, the laity and uh, pastors, a world that has been divided in, your, uh, in the church world, and you've really connected those things that God says, hey, what God has, you know, united, let no man separate. You've done that on a pastoral level. You've taken prophetic issues and connected them pastorally. Um, so I, I just have had a huge appreciation of the the work that you've done my story from a from a pastoral standpoint that gives the best snapshot of from there to here would be this i i grew up in um, bellingham Washington which is a place that's um you know pot's probably been legal there since the 60s um <laughs> it's it's a it's a college town it's a very um, progressive and liberal town and i grew up my, my formative years in Bellingham, and I was in a church that was very conservative, um, Baptist, and in a town that was very progressive and liberal. So the way I, I kind of learned to think about it was uh, with the story of the prodigal son, if you're familiar with that, I kind of grew up in a church culture that was the older brother culture in a town and in a city and in schools that were like the younger brother. So as I look back now, I kind of realized that God was training me, that was kind of my training ground, learning to speak a language of the younger brother, someone who's far from God, maybe someone who is a skeptic, atheist, or from another religion. That's, that's what I grew, grew up in in the town. But then I also knew how to speak the language of the older brother, like the, the church culture. And that had a huge influence. I didn't even know about. It. it was like God was training me without knowing about it, kind of like David with his sheep in the fields. And so when I got into high school and started um, college, my college years, I loved talking with uh, atheists. I loved talking with people who came from a totally different background than me. I loved it. I just loved it. And um, God was kind of developing uh, in me kind of gifts for being able to like take metaphors and e- people's own experiences and own perspectives and ideologies and uh, philosophy and just being able to like maybe reframe it or give, just ask questions and be curious, because I genuinely am curious when I'm talking with people. That kind of led to, a, 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 I think, a gift of evangelism. I got back from um, Bible school when I went to Europe for a year. I was in England, and then I was in Austria, but it was kind of, got to see the global church. But in Europe, I mean, it's very post-Christian. And so that continued to ignite a, a heart and passion for uh, people who are not Christians and, and being able to engage conversations with them. So when I came back, I started doing youth ministry and um, it was challenging, but I really loved it because I, I loved getting on campus and the different campuses in our area and, and get, getting into the world of other people, which I later learned is, you know, a fancy word called incarnational ministry, just getting into the world of other people and letting them share their stories and, and learning to connect with the language they use for how they see the world. So that's kind of where I cut my teeth in, and then I felt called toward um, church planting. Uh, long story short, I ended up down in uh, kind of the South Sound uh, near Tacoma um, in, a, in a town called Puyallup. I uh, was willing to do anything. I was just trying to learn how to church plant, and church that planted us, is uh, the church I that I eventually planted uh, is called Whitewater. I would noticed that the longer someone's a Christian, the less non-Christian friends they have. I'm sure you guys have probably noticed that, and so we uh, decided let's try to establish our church as good neighbors. So we started in a home with just a few people and a dream, (laughs) and we said, "What would could we could we make a church that's that where people can belong before they believe?" That's a huge theme for our church, where people could experience faith, they could test faith, explore faith in Jesus. Uh, without feeling like judged or the pressure to like commit right away. And so we began doing block parties. This was before that was a popular thing in our area. It's become much more common now, but we started doing block parties uh, to establish our people as good neighbors. And, you know, basically like I would go flip burgers and say, Hey, God has placed you in this neighborhood, this place for a reason, let's establish you as a good neighbor. And remember our first one, um, I was arriving with all the hamburgers and all the condiments and all that stuff. And the guy who is hosting it in his neighborhood he's like, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea now. Like no one's going to come. He's like, its I'm embarrassed right now because I'm realizing how many of my neighbors I don't know. I haven't got out of my home, which is like, it's the story for a lot of Christians. I know even for myself, I hadn't done a great job of meeting my neighbors. And so it was this journey that we were on. And I remember <laughs> how nervous he was. And I said, hey, let's just do it. Let's see what God does. And all of a sudden when it was like six o'clock and it was a summer day, it was the part the party was starting. All these people just came pouring out of their homes. We had like over 300 people come to this thing and it was so fun. It was so simple. It wasn't like we were doing a program. It wasn't like we were inviting people to the church. We were saying, we're going to go to the people. We're going to go to the communities, the neighborhoods and uh, be a bridge uh, to people. And my neighbor got to connect with all kinds of people Met neighbors, began relationships that that I think lasted for a, a long time, and hadn't been started until that moment. And so uh, that gives a little snapshot. The first six months was so tough because I I just love seeing people find Jesus and and move towards Jesus. And we, if you're familiar with uh, Paul Hebert's work on on building centered set communities, and for anybody who's listening that might not be familiar to that, there's. A contrast between a centered set community and a bounded set community. A bounded set community asks the question, who's in and who's out? And you have like kind of boundaries that define that. Uh, you know, what do you believe about the Bible? Or, you know, what clothes do you wear? And, um, you know, do you have two tattoos or no, no tattoos? Have you been divorced or not divorced? And there's like a lot of boundaries and policies that define whether you get to be in with the group or out. And a lot of churches, unfortunately, can can kind of function like a bounded set community that focuses on the boundaries between people. A centered set community operates a little differently. It asks a different set of questions. Not primarily who's in or who's out. It's asking who's moving toward Jesus and who's moving away from him. And so it's a it's a matter of orientation, an orientation of the heart. It's a, it's a it's about our relationship with God rather than maybe behavioral policies that we follow. <laughs> so um, as we were forming this in the first six months we saw like no conversions and I was so frustrated. I was so like that, that was the the hardest part. Um, and we were doing good work and building all these relationships. And, and um, I remember talking with my dad, I was like, I'm so frustrated right now. And uh, he's like, Hey, it'll, it'll come, but you know that, you know, no one, no one's going to find Jesus and, and no one's going to lead people to the Lord unless you start doing it at your church. I'm like, I know, I knew this. But it was, I just remember those words, and I think that's a good word, even though I knew it. And I just started praying. I just got on my knees and asked God to, to be at work and help me to see the Spirit at work in people and, and our church, to in ways that would release people. And we'd see some freedom moments um, and, and major steps towards faith. And then, like, all of a sudden, there was just this, this change that happened, like all these relationships and all this work and all this stuff that, that was happening fr- through this little church that started in a home. We saw over it was like over 100. I think it was near 150 people find Jesus. Former atheists, agnostics, uh, Mormon, Muslim background, all these people and families. And we start, I baptized whole families, and uh, I remember one particular story. This might be helpful. I know this is taking a little little bit, but I, I hope this is a a snapshot that's helpful for people. As our church was growing, we, we, we moved from the home into a, a school, and then we moved from an elementary school into a high school, um, more regionally known area. And this was really cool. The, there was a moment I think was really important. There was a family we met at a block party when we were at the block party, me and my wife uh, got to talk with them and they just started talking about what was going on in their life. And we just hit it off with them. We're having fun. And then they found out that I was a pastor, you know, and sometimes that's either the moment where people are like, dun, 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 and start like moving away from you. because <laughs> they feel like that might, you know, you're, you're part of some kind of judgment on them or something, or, um, it opens up, you know, some great conversations. And, the this gal, she said, wonderful wonderful woman she said my my dad just passed away recently of melanoma cancer and um, she just started pouring out her heart she ended up asking me and sarah to pray for her she was not a christian her husband was definitely not a christian didn't like christianity had been hurt uh, in mormonism as his background and and didn't like organized religion Um, we prayed for them and a few months later she showed up at our church so the belonging had started at this block party she shows up at our church. Eventually she gives her life to Jesus. I start meeting with her husband. We start going through the book of John at a pancake house on Saturdays. Um, I had another friend named John John who joined us in this, and we just started talking about faith. And I remember one day we were at their house. Um, They had invited us to, to start doing alpha in their home and a Bible study. So it was kind of a mixture of just whatever questions they had. And Alpha and other people had started coming. It is this inclusive community, and all of a sudden we're in the kitchen afterward. It's always in those like moments that it's kind of like more informal, and you're just hanging out. That you find you kind of sometimes have the biggest breakthroughs. And her husband has been has been going to our church for a while, and I knew that he was getting more and more serious because when he started coming, like if the dolphin the Dolphins, the football team, Miami football team, were playing, he wasn't at church with his wife. <laughs> but there were a few days where he was there and the dolphins had been playing. And I was like, wow, something serious is happening <laughs> here. I remember being in his house. It was, uh, we were just all in his kitchen drinking a beverage. And, uh, he goes, you know, I looked at him. He, there was just something different about him. I said, Hey, you know, Ty, are you, are you in the kingdom? Cause we were talking a lot about the kingdom of God. And he kind of looked around and he just goes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And his wife just raised her fist and punched him in the arm as hard as you could imagine. A wife punching her husband in the arm. She's like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and then uh, they uh, they wanted to get baptized and they're competitive. And so, she, you know, like she was like, I'm going to get baptized first. And he was like, no, I'm going to get baptized first. And I just remember being able to baptize my two friends. And it was such a special moment. But here's the coolest part about this. Samantha came up to me after church one time, and they both given their lives to Jesus, and they're both kind of having that reorientation of life and heart happening. And that she goes, "Hey, I want you to know, I, I did it." And I said, and "You did what?" She's like, "I was a missionary, like you are always talking about." I was like, "Well, how so?" She's like, "Well, I shared my spiritual journey with a friend, and um, and uh, over." over uh, Facebook and we started talking over the phone and I, I I began talking with her about Jesus and I think she's ready for that. And I was like, that's amazing. She's like, yeah. And then I have another friend who's going through real hardship. Would you come and talk with him? Uh, Me and Ty love, love this friend and he's going through a terrible time. And would you do what you did with us? Would you lead him to Christ? I remember there was an important moment because I was like, yeah. And right before I said yes, I said, actually, I think you guys can do this. How about I come with you and I'll help you do it? Because, you know, like there's such a temptation to want to be the guy or be the person that is leading people and gets to say, hey, you know, I led people to Christ. But, but we don't, I didn't want to just be the sage on the stage. I wanted to, to learn how to be that guide on the side to help people lead others to Christ. We wanted to see disciples making disciples, not just George, the pastor, um, making disciples. So I remember we met with this guy. Um, we started talking about his story, his story connected to a, a passage of scripture I thought was really good. So uh, I just got the passage of scripture. That was like the biggest point of help I could provide because they didn't know the Bible very well. Uh, my friend Ty knew the book of John. Um, that was it. And so I took him to Romans 3 and uh, and I and I just said, hey, let's read this together. So he he read it and he read it out loud and it talks about belief in Jesus and faith in Jesus like three, four times in that passage, right? And then just ask the simple question, well, what is this saying that you have to do to be made right with God? And he kind of the 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 friend kind of thought to himself and he goes, Well, I think it's saying you gotta like, you know, believe in Jesus and you've gotta go to church and you've gotta pray and you've gotta do better. You've gotta clean your life. I've got to clean my life up. And I and I said, Well, but what does this say like you have to do to be made right with God? And he looked at it again, read it out loud, and he goes, yeah, I've just, I've got to pray more. I've got to get my life better. I've got to do better. And then my friend Ty, like, out don't know, he's the most quiet guy. He just out of nowhere just slams his, his uh, fists on this little, you know, dining room table. Boom, just hits the table. And he says, no, that's not what it says. It's by grace that you're saved. It's by faith, just trusting in Jesus. He did all the work. And he just starts preaching the gospel. <laughs> At that point, I just kind of like slowly back away from the table, you know, like I'm just kind of sitting back in my seat and I just let him talk with his friend and they just start talking about the love of Jesus and how it's just freely given and needs to be received. And And uh, this is what God's done in his life. And then Samantha, this is what God's done in my life. And like all of a sudden the, there's not a dry eye around the table. I might've had a tear or two as, as uh, our friend Jason gives his life to Jesus. And that was a, a start. For our church, and I'll kind of end here. <laughs> the start for our church of disciples making disciples, of being a church that uh, learns how to gather to scatter as missionaries in our in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in uh, our world, in our community. And that, that the church is, is to be an empowered people. Paul, you talk about this all the time, the priesthood of believers. It can sound weird to a non-Christian, but what it means is we are all sons and daughters of God, fully equipped, fully empowered to live a kingdom life here and now. And, um, and we're all a part of this beautiful thing that we get to join God doing, which is building the kingdom.
0: That's amazing. Thanks George for sharing those stories and your background with us. You, uh, you mentioned in your Easter service, you said um, the church's role is to support their people from Monday to Saturday. What What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I, man, I got to give um, Paul Stevens props here. He's been teaching this for so long. He was so ahead of his time. Um, it is it is such a fundamental, uh, I think, such a fundamental uh paradigm shift that needs to happen in the church, but it's been there the whole time. Like a paradigm is something that you either see or you don't. And, um, like I, I, have you, have you ever seen like those old paradigm images like that has an old lady, but then if you look at it a certain way, it's got a young lady, depending on how you look at it. And, um, I remember like Uh, someone saying like, Hey, there's a, there's a young lady in that, in that picture. And I was like, what? No, it's an old lady. They're like, no, it's a young lady. And they were pointing it out. I was like, no, here's the nose. Here's the face. They're like, no, here's how it is. And all of a sudden, like I blinked and I saw this, this picture that was right in front of me the whole time and I hadn't seen it. And I think that's a lot like this, this idea of a, a a gathered and scattered church, a church that's designed to support their um, their people for Monday through Saturday um, I think it's been in the scripture. You see that this is what God has been doing all along, but in, until you see it, you're blind to it. And so I think we got to continually remind people because like for anybody who's learning a new paradigm, you close your eyes and and the new paradigm you saw is gone. And, you know, like I, I went from seeing the old, the old lady to seeing the young lady in the picture. I blinked and I went back to seeing the old lady. So we have to continually remind people, I think. So, um, To answer your question, uh, kind of the way we look at it, I'll just kind of share a little bit, uh, like a snapshot of how we uh, look at this as a church. But I I see this as as stewardship. We're stewarding our people. The church, as a pastor, one of my primary roles is steward of the lives and the souls, the gifts, the callings, the different purposes of each person in my church. And so we believe Whitewater is a community of radical um, stewardship and that we're centered on Jesus and we're sent by Jesus to bless a broken world. Our our church community stewards a diversity of people, uh, which has both believers and seekers, people from different cultural backgrounds, uh, different faith backgrounds, different racial backgrounds. I mean, it's just we have a diversity of people. Um, Leaders in the church are to steward that. We become servants... To the servants, like our, all of our people are serving out in the community, in their neighborhoods, their workplaces, their relationships, their families, and our job is to support that. And I, I think uh, I learned it from Ray Baki, and then heard it confirmed by by Paul Stevens. And I think this goes all the way back to Elton Trueblood. And so, um, my job, I think, is to is to steward a, a church community of diversity, both believers and seekers, on their journey toward Jesus. Now people can belong before they believe they can belong in an inclusive community but here's the key we're bridging people into belonging but what we the step we often miss I think in church is bridging people back out to blessing to realizing that like they can belong and they always have belonged to God and it's just saying yes to that belonging as you know as Henry Nouwen might say but we also are launching people. Jesus doesn't, we're not just centered on him and moving into this beautiful cloister where everything's perfect and great and we all can belong. Uh, The temptation of humans is to say once, you know, once I buy a property where, you know, where it's valuable and it's great. Once I can belong, it's, we have a tendency not to give belonging and inclusion to other people. And Jesus breaks that up. He, we, we, when you see his disciples, they center on him, they move toward him, and then he sends them out. Um, and so for, for me, what that looks like is um, is this. When people find Jesus, we have the conviction that every believer is built to become a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. And, um, and so that's what we want to do. We want to help people see that right where they're at, they're, they're uh, sent, not stuck in their work. They're sent, not stuck. And that the, the Spirit is at work out in the world, that the spiritual formation of their life is happening out in the world, in the workplace, with their family, in their neighborhoods. Can they see what the Spirit is doing? We have a presupposition that God's presence and His Spirit is at work in every place, in every institution, in every person, no matter how broken it is. Yes, brokenness exists, sin exists. We're not denying that. But God's Spirit is at work in those places. So we can affirm um, what began in Genesis of this brokenness and being kind of kicked out of the garden. And, you know, like um, that sin caused all these issues. And you can follow like the issues of sin, It's starting in the book of Genesis. But at the end of Genesis, we can affirm what Joseph says, what was meant for evil, God turned to good. And God is doing that everywhere. So our job is, um, the way we see it, rather than being like, grace bringers or gospel bringers to people who don't have anything out in the world and these sinners who are out there, rather than being a cloistered group that just says we're going to keep the gospel with us or saying we're just going to bring the gospel to other people who we have it, they don't. And so we're going to bring what they need. What we see ourselves as primarily is grace finders, not just grace bringers. We are gospel finders. Not just gospel bringers. Um, yeah, we do have grace that we bring. Yes, we do have, you know, insights that God has given us. Um, we 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 do bring those to the table. But first and foremost, we're finding what is God at. What is He doing in this person's life? What is God already doing by His Spirit in this institution that someone might find themselves in? And I think when we get that, that changes everything. Everyone is sent. We're stewarding. In my church, there are Daniel's from like the Old Testament. There are Josephs from the Old Testament. There are Esthers. You look at the New Testament. There's Lydia's, who was a you know a businesswoman in the garment of purple, and uh, you see uh, other leaders like Cornelius, uh, centurions. You just go through all the people who find Jesus. The Ethiopian um, eunuch from the the Book of Acts. All of these people were gathered up into God's great mission, the spirit was already at work in their lives. And I think our, the work of a Christian is just helping point those things out, finding grace together, and um, and then stewarding those people. We're stewarding the Daniels, the Josephs, the Esthers, the uh, Lydias, the Corneliuses, the Peters. We're stewarding those people. And um, I always imagine, like, what if we were given, like uh, a, like, the leader Paul, for example, or Barnabas, who did some incredible things in the book of Acts, imagine that they were transported to your church. (laughs) They just showed up your church and uh, they were like, hey, I want to get involved. I really want to be involved here. You know, what would most churches say to them? What would they do? What would they empower them to do? You know, my fear would be, or my concern would be that we would give them a bunch of bulletins and say, here, hand these out. (laughs) imagine that you know but um but if we saw if we saw the latent power within the church the way I think about it the church is a reservoir that god wants to release as rivers of blessing into the community and in fact already has released them it's awakening them to that reality awakening them to find the grace of god where they're at work where, and where they play where they uh, do family where they live um i think we could see an amazing movement um, from even the most, you know, maybe the most uh, unexpected church, the smallest church, the, the most local church you could think of that, uh, that might not see itself as a, as a powerful force for good in their community, they realize all their people are stationed, they're sent, not stuck that for the kingdom. I think it would change things. I love that picture, you know, that picture of stewardship,
0: of serving the servants, Uh, I just really love that.
2: And you mentioned uh, Elton Truplod, because I actually heard Elton when I was a student in about a century ago. (laughs) Um, He said that the pastor is to be the assistant of the people, not the other way around. And I think one of the real problems is that the pastor's often get the people to assist them in their ministry rather than the pastor assisting the people uh, in their ministry. And the other thing that Elton Trueblood said was churchgoer is a vulgar, ignorant term, should never be used. You can't go to church. You are the church wherever you go. And so you talked about stewarding people. uh, And I just think that's beautiful.
0: Well, this is part one of our conversation with George. He had such wisdom to share um, that we've broken up the conversation into two parts. I appreciated how George sees his church not as grace and gospel bringers, but grace and gospel finders. What stood out to you about our conversation with George, Paul? Well, I I think first of
2: all, I think he was so enthusiastic about... Uh, God's people, and God's people both in the gathered life and also in the dispersed life, but mainly in the dispersed life. And I think that was the thing that really stood out for me, because, you know, being being a pastor is is a hard job, because the church is a system of being rather than doing. And I think that, you know, here's somebody who's really got it, and he's He's fashioning. Um, I don't know whether he's doing it or whether God's doing it, but um, but he's part of the fashioning of a church that is really quite entrepreneurial. And he is enthusiastic.
0: And that was, that was the, the passion. That was the thing that stood out for me. One thing that he said, he contrasted a bounded set community and a centered set community. And I thought it was really interesting. He said, a bounded set community asks the question, who's in and who's out? And a centered set community asks, who's moving towards Jesus and who, who's moving away from him? How do you think that um, thinking this way impacts the work of the church and the being of the church?
2: Yeah, you know, this takes me back literally uh, 63 years when I started studying the kingdom of God in the Gospels. And I thought, oh my stars, you know, this is a different thing from the church. The church is kind of, you're either in or out or, um, but in the kingdom, the seed is sown uh, in kind of various types of ground. And there's weed seeds alongside of the wheat seeds. And, Um, it's a mixed bag like like a mixture a fisherman pulls in a net of fish and some are good fish and some are bad and he tosses the bad away but you know the kingdom is really a a mixed bag the kingdom itself is not mixed okay but it's in the context of a mixed bag and i think that uh, george has a kingdom concept of the church, which is, it's really what Jesus did in the gospels. He only three times spoke about the church, and uh, 100 and I think it's around 40 times he spoke about the kingdom of God. I mean, his primary concern, his agenda was to inaugurate, embody uh, the kingdom of God. And I think in the gospels, Uh, you have this idea that uh, you can be as close to Jesus as you want to be. You can be in the crowd and, you know, feel some touch and and so on. Or you can be in the 70 and be engaged in a kind of short-term mission. Or you can be in the 12 um, and really associate with him closely as apprentices. And then you could be in the three, Peter, James, and John, who were really very close to Jesus. And uh, I've always thought, you know, I I wonder if we could actually do church that way. And I think he's saying, uh, basically, you can be as close to Jesus as you want to be. Hmm. And so he takes the risk of not having a bounded community, where you, people, you, you say, well, these people are members and these people are not members. And basically, you say, hey, the center is Jesus and the kingdom of God and his rule, his life giving, uh, human flourishing
0: rule. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. He also, George also talked about a paradigm shift in the thinking of pastors. He said, Pastors are the servants to the servants. We are not over people. We are under our church, holding them up, lifting them up in their callings, and their diversity of gifts. How does this shift in vision impact the role of the pastor and of the church? You
2: know, I have to say my heart leaped up when he basically said this, because, again, you know, my life work has been to try to convince pastors, and I've been a pastor myself for 20 years, and to convince myself <laughs> that I'm I'm a servant of the people. Uh, Martin Luther called the pastor a servant of the priests, and the priests are the people. Um, and he's a priest too. So I just think it's transformative if you evaluate and focus and prioritize um, a pastor's ministry not on the basis of how good a preacher he is or she is or how good an administrator she is or what kind of worship leader this person really is. But rather, are they deporting themselves in such a way that they are serving the people in the empowerment of their gifts for their ministry, not the pastor's ministry. And you know, a lot of pastors say, well, I'm I'm, you know, helping the laity. And by that, they're actually training them to do pastoral work. They're training them to do the work of the church. Um, And that's not a bad thing, but it's not enough because everyone has their own ministry. And I think that Ephesians 4, 11, 12, which is a foundational text in my life, um, I can remember the place in the reading room in McMaster University where I just, I was translating from the Greek and I suddenly thought, this is fantastic. It says, pastor teachers are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's not the pastor that is the minister of the church. It's the people that are the minister of the church. And the pastor's job is to empower the people by using whatever gifts she or he has, uh, teaching or mentoring or pastoring or administration or any whatever gifts that, that she or he has can be used to empower the people.
0: Thanks for sharing that, Paul. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to our show this week. Please give a like, review, or share if you enjoyed our conversation. Our show notes are available on our website, doinggodsbusiness.org. You can follow us on Facebook at imtglobal.org and on Instagram at imtglobal. This podcast was edited by myself, Tim Chan, and Jake Bianch with music by Geom. The Doing God's Business podcast is a production from the Institute for Marketplace Transformation. Learn more at imtglobal.org.